Today is Sunday, April 28th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman in episode 312, featuring Celtics radio analyst Cedric Maxwell, TV voice Mike Gorman, and longtime Boston Globe columnist Bob Ryan is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Today's show is also brought to you by Quip. Go to getquip.com slash Celtics and get your first refill pack for free when you buy your first electric toothbrush. Hey everyone, Adam Kaufman here with you. Welcome into Celtics Beat. We have a very special show for you here on this Sunday, although not the show that I had intended. As you certainly know by now, during the NFL draft, the first round back on Thursday, as the Bruins were playing game one against Columbus, that eventual comeback win in overtime, and the Red Sox were in the middle of wrapping up their series with the Tigers, and the Celtics were waiting and waiting and waiting to start game one against the Milwaukee Bucks, which is going to be later on today. Some very sad news for the NBA community and most especially the Boston sports community and the Celtics family. John Havlicek passed away at 79 years old. I didn't know John personally. He had been sick for a long time. He had been battling Parkinson's. This was something that many people were aware of. You know, I had months ago gotten wind of the fact that John's health had been deteriorating and that it was, you know, only a matter of time. And so still... It hits, the reality hits, and it just, it's, I mean, it sucks, right? It sucks. I mean, if you're an older Celtics fan, you certainly know that. Anytime anyone passes away that you care about that's terrible or that you rooted on as as a fan, even if you don't know them again. I mean, I was a, a fan of John Havlicek without even having ever watched him play. Just a fan of his history and his place in Celtics history and, and seeing old clips and Havlicek stole the ball and, and some of the great memories and, and his place on so many great Celtics teams. You know, this is a guy who won eight championships in his 16-year career in Boston, was a 13-time All-Star, one of the 50 greatest players of all time when that list came out back in 1996. And, you know, I, I think anyone, I don't need to, to run down all the stats. This is the team's all-time leading scorer. These are some of the things we're going to talk about as the show moves along. I had planned on this being a show previewing the Milwaukee Bucks series. I don't have to do that. I'm not going to do that. This show isn't going to be about that series at all, and it's going to be about an hour long, but I think you're really going to enjoy it. If you want a Bucks preview, we had a very comprehensive one in our last show with Mark D'Amico from the Celtics. I encourage you to go back and listen to that. We hit on everything there anyway. This was just going to be another version of that with some other in-depth questions. Instead, we're going to take a trip down memory lane. We're going to get to know John Havlicek a lot better, both on and off the floor with people who knew him best or watched from afar and got to know him in later years. Going to be joined by Bob Ryan, longtime Boston Globe columnist, knew John very well, did a book with him, covered him throughout his career. Cedric Maxwell played with him. He got to know him in both of their retirements and, and both fixtures, obviously, in Celtics history. And, of course, Mike Gorman grew up watching him, was a fan of his before he started calling games. And he's been on the broadcast for 30-plus years over at NBC Sports Boston at this point and got to know him just a little bit later on in uh, in John's life as well. But first, from the Celtics, the team that knew him best. The team issued a statement in the hours after John passed, said John Havlicek is one of the most accomplished players in Boston Celtics history in the face of many of the franchise's signature moments. He was a great champion both on the court and in the community, winning eight NBA championships and an NBA Finals MVP while holding Celtics career records for points scored and games played. 
named one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history. He is enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and his retired number 17 hangs in the garden rafters. His defining traits as a player were his relentless hustle and wholehearted commitment to team over self. He was extraordinarily thoughtful and generous, both on a personal level and for those in need, as illustrated by his commitment to raising money for the Genesis Foundation for children over three decades through his fishing tournament. John was kind and considerate, humble and gracious. He was a champion in every sense, and as we join his family, friends, and fans in mourning his loss, we're thankful for all the joy and inspiration that he brought to us. As the show moves along, I'll give you a whole bunch of tweets from people and uh, some of the memories shared and, again, extensive chats with the guests that I already mentioned. But how about hear from the man himself? Back when John retired, the team, as you would expect, had a ceremony for him, and he took the mic and addressed the fans about his time in Boston. What more could one ask than to be a part of a city like Boston, a part of so many championship teams? I'm going to remember the flags the fans, the greetings at the airport, the smiling faces in the parades, and the warm handshakes everywhere I go. You, the people of Boston, have provided me with a great deal. At the end of this journey, I'm going to start a new one. I can only say if the next 16 are half as happy as the last 16, I'm going to be a very happy man. The legendary Red Auerbach had some things to say as well. But after 16 years of being John's coach, general manager, going all around the world with him, doing clinics, what can I say about John Havlicek in one minute? It's impossible. He epitomizes everything there is, not only as an athlete, most of you people know, know John as an athlete. I know him as a person as well. John, if I had a son, if he was like John, I'd be the happiest man in the world. You'll find a lot of people feel very similarly as we move ahead in this show. I will tell you, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh actually chatted with WBZ Radio in Boston, where I work as you may know, and he had some great things to say about John Havlicek, but among them just that this is a guy who maybe historically gets a little looked over around here. He was such a big figure back in the day here. I know a lot of the young people today and people think of Tom Brady and Bobby Orr and, and different athletes, and John Havlicek was just one, an amazing uh, legend in the city of Boston and what he was able to do on the court. It's so true. This generation, you know, around here, obviously, we always think of Tom Brady and so many great Patriots, David Ortiz, and, and so many Red Sox who have won a bunch of championships. But And there are a lot of other incredible players who are going to be in the hall, their respective Hall of Fames one day. But going down that, that timeline, it's easy to overlook some guys you didn't have the opportunity to watch. But one person who watched him all throughout and got to know him real well. Let's bring in Bob Ryan, longtime Boston Globe columnist, good friend of the CLNS Media Network, and of course this Celtics Beat program, but also a man who covered John Havlicek, a man who got to know him very well. Bob, when I say John Havlicek, what's the first thing that pops in your head? A sense of humor. John was slightly humorous and, and um, you know, a very, very, um, a very agreeable companion. <clears throat> you know, the, the thing is divided in half. Obviously, we're talking about the we'll talk about the the, the skill, talk about the career. <clears throat> but I, as you're right, I did get to know him. I was fortunate enough to do a book with him, 
spent time in, in, uh, with him in, in Ohio and and many 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 you know uh, hours uh, on airplanes and airplane gates and and so forth uh, over the years and uh, uh, I, I really enjoyed his company but um, but the, the the other thing I say meticulous John was meticulous uh, uh, I, I tell the famous story about John who when he would wear the executive socks the high socks he would <laughs> hang them on a hanger. In the locker room, and his locker room, and, and he had a array of cologne bottles, and you know, and, and deodorant and stuff. And he arranged them in, in an ascending order, left to right. Uh, and in his locker room, I said, always looked as if the general were coming for inspection. And, and that's just the way he—that's just the way he was. He was completely meticulous. What are some of your favorite memories of John? You know, uh, along those, obviously, the experience <clears throat> writing the book, some of those flights, some of the different things that that pop into your head that maybe those of us that. Didn't have the opportunity to not only be well, behind the curtain, but I mean, I'm I'm not even old enough to have witnessed the greatness. This one, this one involves two people, he and Don Nelson. But it's funny; it speaks to the times, and it's so it, it's just incom- incomprehensible today. But this is the world. There were the Celtics had rules. Red had rules. Um, for example, he didn't believe in the pancakes were good too, and 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 um, he he basically had forbid. For, you know, had they were forbidden on the road to eat pancakes. That's another story. <laughs> Red. Um, they, uh, they, beer was okay, but everything else, every other kind of alcohol was, was considered to be evil. And so one night I was having dinner in Milwaukee with Nelson and Havlicek and they ordered, I believe it was, that's the height of the Matus Rosé wine, uh, craze of the early seventies. They ordered the wine and they said, and if Hawk, Hawk was the nickname for Heinzen, uh, at the team uh, in, in, in internal nickname, if Hawk comes in, you're drinking the wine. <laughs> and these are grown men. John, Hav- it was John Havlicek we're talking about. Yeah, you know, well, that's the that's the world that they lived in. But but uh, uh, John John was uh, just uh, you know precise and 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 you know the, everything he did. And and you know the other thing I, I mentioned this and at, at times if you're having a steak and and he saw that you hadn't cut off every sliver of fat, he would look at you and say, "You'd eat that." <laughs> you know? Oh God, man! He was he was, was he was fun. Dave Cowens once said that Havlicek's underrated. You know, the man played 16 years, won yeah. eight championships, a 13-time All-Star, Hall of Famer, one of the NBA's top 50 players. When that list came out back in 1996, we know that 17's up in the Garden Rafters. He's Boston's all-time leader in games and points. Without, by the way, the benefit of a three-point line in his era. All these things that I'm rattling off. They certainly don't scream underrated, and yet he is still, I don't know, maybe of a certain generation at least, underappreciated. Do you agree with that? Totally agree. It's more true now than ever. Um, John Havlicek has fallen, sadly, through the cracks of history with regard to the all-time greats uh, rankings. Uh, And too many uh, younger generation fans uh, don't understand that in the last half a dozen years of his career, he was the best individual player in the league, the best non-center in the league. He was better than Oscar Robertson. He was better than Jerry West as they got older and John was still in his prime. Plus John aged better, much better than Oscar did and aged somewhat better than Jerry did. And he, he was the very best player in the league. And, 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 and any list of all time, he's not top 50. What a joke. The only question is, is he in the top 10? And he's certainly in the top 15. And, and that, that's that. Uh, there, there was nobody like him. And it's, it's the true hallmark of, of why we remember great players. It's not the statistical stuff. That, although a guy like Wilt, you know, it's overwhelms you with the stats. But 
it's the the mark of the image he left of the game he played of the game he played and and John was a tenacious two-way player now people say well you know the guys are today the game is fluid now the the, the positions are not definable they don't even bother to list centers on the all-star ballot if I'm not mistaken <clears throat> his games is divided now between bigs and non-bigs but in his day the game was very regimented. Centers were centers. Forwards were forwards. Guards were guards. The positions were highly delineated. The, role, the job descriptions were, were, were very distinct. In that world, John Havlicek was the greatest two-position player that existed. Uh, he was an all-star, first-team all-star level player as a two-guard. He was a first-team all-star level player as a small forward. And the thing about John that separated him from everybody else, and it was Ilka, uh, was that he didn't have to come out of the game. So while the other team was uh, resting the, uh, the second quarter, the additional second quarter resting period of the time, John was out there, you know, running around and, and, and scoring baskets against the second string. <laughs> Go check the numbers. Go check the numbers. He led the league in minutes played twice in the early 70s and um, at 45 minutes a game. And then in the playoffs came. Go back and then dial it back to the um, late 60s uh, when he was allegedly the sixth man. And, in fact, he was uh, he was elevated to starting, starting status in 68 and 69 in the playoffs. <laughs> and it was routine for him to play 48. Routine. Um, there, had, there has never, at capital N, E-V-E-R. Never <laughs> been anybody like him. He, his distinct mark on the game is John Havlicek's and John Havlicek's alone. That really is, you know, you bring up the motor. One of the things, the more you read about him, hear about him, talk to people about him, that's the thing that keeps coming up. The fact that this guy, it just, I don't know what it was about him, and obviously not having watched him firsthand, but he never got tired. You know, the, the whatever it was, the, the heartbeat or pulse rate or whatever the terminology was, so low that he just he he could withstand he was he was an energizer bunny out 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 there he never ever ran out of gas i know you obviously talked about the fact that that he didn't come off the floor he didn't rest but it's not even just that it's that he was out there and continuously outworking guys that's exactly true and that's that was his game his game was an off the ball game but he trained himself to be a guard he trained himself to be a he could lead he could be a lead guard and often was, and and you, he, you know, he had, he had tri- we didn't we didn't have the phrase triple double. Uh, anyway, we we uh, he was, but he was a triple double kind of guy. He had them, he had many of them, and but no one talked about it in those days. Hmm. Um, anyway, the the stamina thing. He was a physical freak. He in fact did have an extraordinary uh, lung capacity. That was he found that out when he went for a chest X ray, and they needed two plates because his lungs were big. Uh, he he developed this in, in the uh, hills of Ohio, and behind his house. Uh, he uh, was not allowed to have a bicycle because they lived on US 40, which is a highly traveled highway and, and on Lansing, Ohio. And the parents were afraid that uh, he might get get hit by a car and a bike. So no bike for you. So he, he compensated by running everywhere, not to mention the fact that he, they lived at the base of hills. So he ran up and down hills and he, and he used to play like the dodge games with himself and right in running around trees and invading squirrels. And, and, and but he ran to everything that was just all throughout his youth. He ran to everything. And, and so he, and it was just a natural thing for him to do. And, um, but that was the hallmark of his game, you know, obviously was the, the stamina uh, and, and the versatility. This is going to seem kind of redundant, I guess, to what we just talked about. But, you know, even diving a little bit deeper, what was it that made John Havlicek so good? You know, for, for people that never saw him play beyond Havlicek stole the ball and, and, and some of the highlights and, and produced stuff that you can find all over YouTube, what was it that that – Beyond that work ethic, beyond that that basketball IQ, what was it that mm. that made him such a good player? That's uh, allowed him to to become uh, you know fall through the cracks as you said over the years. 
Well, clearly he was competitive, as all great players have to be. I mean, extraordinarily competitive, and 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 but and he's just a great athlete. I mean, remember, this is a guy that 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 did not play college football. He was a high school quarterback, an all-state level quarterback in Ohio. He also was a high school baseball player and quite a good one. And he went to Ohio State, and he exclusively and Woody Hayes uh, wanted to get a hold of him, but he he didn't get him. He, and he played football, uh, basketball for Fred Taylor. Then he was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, and he went to camp as a Celtics initial offer. Apparently, he didn't like it, so he went first. He, he went to Browns training camp in 1962. <clears throat> After not even playing college football, had not played college football, and he went as a wide receiver. And he was the last man cut. And the man that was cut in favor of him was a guy named Gary Collins, who went on to be an All Pro. And there are people, and I know one person who would tell you, Upton Bell, who was involved in football scouting at the time, says that he deserved to make that team. He actually outplayed Gary Collins, but they weren't cutting their first-round pick. So now he gets cut and gets in the car and drives to Marshfield, Massachusetts, to Red Auerbach's uh, rookie camp. And uh, that's the story. That's the beginning of the story in Boston. And uh, that's it. But he, 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 according to a knowledgeable expert, deserved to make the Cleveland Browns after not having played college football. Great athlete, period. Now, what makes him, I mean, it's just simple, and intelligence. Uh, he, he was a student of the game, he, he, and, and to the point where he understood himself the well, no, no, he would not have been a good coach. He, he, he would have been exasperated with the, <laughs> with the incompetence of, the, of his, you know, the youthful charges. Uh, he was frustrated his first, my, my first year, uh, his first year post-Russell in 1969-70 by the lack of basketball intelligence of, of the younger players. And um, he, he was vocal about it. And uh, <clears throat> he, you know, he needed to teach them how to think the game as well as play the game. Uh, he couldn't understand why if someone ran a play on you that you didn't remember it. And, you know, next time you saw what they were going to call it, you didn't you know, know how to react to that. It made perfect sense to him in a way that obviously didn't make sense to everybody else. Um, so you, you just throw the complete, you take a complete package, right? You take an inherently superior athlete, you take an intelligent person, you take the competitiveness, and then you take this this rare gift of of, of stamina and, and durability, and, and you put it all in one. And then you give him the good benefit, by the way, of going to a very good team to start where, where he was limited when he started. He wasn't a great shooter. All he had to do was run up and down court, take passes from Kuzi, and then play defense. So he went home, and, and he, only, he didn't shoot through 40% that uh, lucky year. Take, a, take note. And he went home, and he shot a trillion jump shots. You knew he would do it. And I'm going to tell you one story about that, that too. And um, shot a trillion jump shots, came back, and, became, and, and now he's a jump shooter as well. He could always go to the hoop. And he got better and better. And, uh, and you know, he's a guy that once scored 54 points in a playoff game. I mean, we're serious. You're talking about a series scorer. Now, i got to tell you what the essence of John. Please. This probably sums up John Havlicek. In 1976, after the first game, in the first game of the final playoffs against Buffalo, he sustained an injury, a torn plantar fascia. First time I ever heard of that issue. You hear about it all the time now. That's the first time I ever heard about it. And the prescription uh, for it was that he had to soak his foot in ice, uh, ice buckets, uh, three hours a day. So we're on the road, and John figured if three's good, seven's twice as good. <clears throat> so <laughs> John, he carried around for the entire playoffs a turquoise dishpan that he purchased, I think, at, at Bradley's, the old Bradley's, wherever yeah. there, and, and carried the turquoise dishpan around. And I would sit with him in a hotel room uh, you know, at, at night, and, and uh, he would go fill the, uh, the, the turquoise dishpan up with with ice and water and soak his feet after he had done it in the afternoon. So we did it seven. And I can still remember him coming back with the ice and he's going two Hondo handfuls <laughs> and of ice. <laughs> so, you know, this is the side of him that no one ever saw, obviously. I was privileged to see that side of him. It's impossible to play the what-if game, nor would you want to. But 
from the context of, you know, if, if there was no John Havlicek on the Celtics ever, you look back and you say, all right, I mean, that team had so much talent. The the original first part of that dynasty, there would have been championships in all likelihood, not as many. He was very impactful, but there would have been some. But how significant was mm-hmm. not only his ability, but his his presence, his leadership, all that comes yeah. with it. When when talking about the fact that he bridged the gap from, you know, those Bill Russell, Bob Cousy teams yeah. to the Dave Cowan's JoJo White teams. I think it's very possible to say that the last championship they, of that era they would have had was in 1965, uh, the year that he stole the ball. That was his third year. Uh, because but that, I say that because the competition got better. Uh, and they needed uh, they needed uh, his greatness. In '66, uh, Philadelphia got good. Wolf Chamberlain had come back to the team, and uh, they they uh, uh, they got competition there. And in '67, Philadelphia had one of the great one season teams in history, and they actually beat the Celtics. There's no way they're winning in '68 or '9 without John Havlicek. No way possible. And they're not winning in '74 or '76 without John Havlicek. So I'd say that if there would have been no John Havlicek, that the uh, dynasty would have stopped in 1965, and and we will have no idea when it would have you know when a championship would have been hoisted it again until bird by the way let's get to that he missed bird by one full season and he told me but he when he saw larry bird that um he wished he had stuck around for larry bird and so you know what he did on his birthday which is april 8th he would come to practice and suit up and, and for several years and play and they were all marveled at how, how much he had left in the tank is that right yeah. And he retired at what? Thirty-seven years old, thirty-eight. 30, thirty-eight. He retired on, on on the day after his birthday, April 9, nineteen seventy-eight, a final game against the Buffalo Braves. Had twenty-nine points, had seventeen in the fourth quarter, and uh, and, and, and ended his career the way he started it. He had, began his career running up and down the court, catching touchdown passes from Bob Cousy, and he ended it running up and down the court, catching touchdown passes from Ernie DiGiorgio, who happened to be the closest spiritual heir to Cousy that we've ever known. And so it, it was like somebody up there was orchestrating this script. I hate this question because it's such a lazy sports talk kind of question, but it just it feels appropriate in, in what we're talking about right now when there are just so many greats in Celtics history that you, because I've already had this debate with some people before even talking to you. When you're making that Mount Rushmore, that big four in, <laughs> of, of Celtics history, Obviously, you know, you've got Bill Russell, you've got Bob Cousy. I would think you have Larry Bird. Is John Havlicek the other guy? Oh, positively. That's a, that's one of the easiest questions you can have. And anybody that says otherwise, they just don't know. I know. I, I, I forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do. You know, they don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 that's the easiest question imaginable in Celtic history. The only question is who's number five. Now the fun starts. Now we have the, now that, that's your, that's your sports topic. That's your show. Who's number five? But one to four, there is no debate. That's number four. That's the one. That's your Mount Rushmore. Russell, Cousy. I'll, I'll go chronologically. Russell, Cousy, Howard, Chick Bird. That's easy. Now the fun stuff. Is it Pierce? Is it McHale? Is it Cowens? Is it Sam? Those are the four candidates I would nominate. Well, Bob, I greatly appreciate you taking some time to take us down memory lane. A lot of obviously really great, interesting stories there. I, I wish I had, you know, had the opportunity to watch John Havlicek, period, you know, beyond just old films, let alone in his prime. But I can only imagine how much fun that was. It was. It was a privilege. And um, I'm just grateful that I was uh, had a front, uh, absolutely had a front row seat and, you know, on and off the court. Boston Globe's Bob Ryan. Thank you, Bob. Okay, bye. Quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. NBA playoffs are here. It's time to make some serious money. The Celtics, they're plus 1,200 to win the NBA title. It's not a bad bet if you're a diehard Seas fan looking to make some money during the playoffs. So you want to go series by series, that also works. Or just think the Celtics are 
going to go ahead and be the team to come out of the East. You can roll with them, plus 550. Those are great odds. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Get a 50% bonus when you sign up and use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left on the sideline with all the excitement going on on the court. Plus, you can play in BetOnline's virtual casino, make some money there too. And you always have futures bets you can play. MLB season, that's in full swing. NFL futures are already out. NHL playoffs too. There's a lot going on in the sports world. And here in Boston, Bruins, they're still involved. So think about them. Whatever you do, make sure you use betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. Or just go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Let's get back to the show. I want to bring in Cedric Maxwell, of course, the very popular radio analyst of the Boston Celtics and across the seas radio network. He joins me on this show all the time and and always enjoyable talking to Max. And, and part of the reason is we get a lot of great stories. And if ever there was a time to search for stories, it's now in the wake of John Havlicek's passing. I don't think Max had probably came as a big surprise to people. He had been battling Parkinson's. He had been sick for, for quite some time. You know, people knew, obviously, the the end was was not far off, but when you heard the news, when you got the reaction, how did that strike you? Um, I was sad uh, because he was such a nice guy. He was a great guy, and um, when I his um, last year was my first year, my rookie year, and I watched him as a player, and he was just so nice to me. Uh, there was a game that. Um, I think it was my rookie year. We weren't playing well. And Tommy Heinsohn was looking for a spark and took John Havlicek out of the starting lineup and put a young rookie in there, Cedric Maxwell, hmm. who scored 20 points and won the game. And the first person that came up to me after that game was John Havlicek telling me what a great job I did. And that's what kind of guy showed me what kind of guy he was. He was he was gracious. He was, he was all about winning, and um, he was the um, uh, just a, a true professional. Yeah, that game November 11th against the Buffalo Braves during that season, Steve Buckley actually wrote about it in The Athletic. I know you talked to Buck about it, and uh, you know what what Buck wrote? Celtics 32-50 and 50 that year, that final season for John, obviously first for you, as you said. You're a 22-year-old rookie, and as Tommy's looking for that spark— you come in, you have the 21 points. Celtics had just been 1-8 and eight going into that game. And for John to come up to you after that and and to give you that, wow, great job, to to be all about winning at that stage of his career when he still had plenty of game left. I mean, he walked away, but he still had the potential. He still could have he could have prolonged his career another few years if he wanted to. For for him to do that, for him to, to usher in the next generation, what did that mean to you? It was just special. It just showed you what kind of guy he was. Uh, he was just this, um, he was the, the just the kind of, I remember seeing him the first time I ever saw him walk into a gym. Uh, we used to have our um, veterans camp. Our, our first camp was, um, was at Buzzards Bay. And Red would always let John come maybe two or three days later, uh, you know, as he got to be older because John was out hunting and fishing and doing all that kind of stuff. But every time John would come into the gym, the guys always say, watch this. He's going to be in great shape. And he came in the first day and blew everybody away running. Hmm. And I was just amazed to see this guy who was, you know, 
16 years older than me and being able to have the kind of energy and the way he played, it, it was really amazing. That graciousness that you talked about and experienced, how different was that for, never mind today's generation, but for even back then, for for a guy of, of, of that clout, of that success, to be an, an all-time great, to have won eight championships, to to be so, so humble, to recognize the bigger picture. Was there much of that back then? Was was that uncommon? Well, I think you look at the guys, and, and I'll say it, and, um, you know, it was, it was JoJo was there. And those guys took me under their wing and showed me, you know, how to, how to play, how to be a professional, being prepared. Um, so I, there were guys like that on that team. Although we started out poorly when I got there, that was the first thing they talked about, Celtic pride, Celtic mystique. And I got a chance to see it firsthand by playing with John. I was talking to Bob Ryan, who obviously covered all those teams, and, and you know Bob, and, and he was telling me that he got he got to know John Havlicek really well. They did a book together, and he was saying that one thing that John always said to him was that he wished he'd he'd stuck around one more year because he missed out on having the opportunity to play with Larry Bird, and he would come to practice uh, on or around his birthday, and he would suit up, and he'd get out there with you guys, and he'd still play, and he would still uh, show just how much game he had left. What were some of those experiences like? Well, I think that John wanted to see that next generation. He wanted to see what it was that, uh, you know, he wanted to see how the Celtics were going to come back to greatness. And and he came to practice, and he would, you know, he was John. He'd be running and shooting, and just like, you know, it was, you know, he was a little slower. Uh, but uh, he was still John, and and that was uh, great to see. I think the last time I saw John, um, kind of, um, to me, was um, bittersweet because I realized that something was going on with John. Um, It was Paul Pierce's retirement when they retired his jersey, Mm -hmm. and they had Celtic greats there, and they brought John in, uh, and I was there already doing Paul doing the game that day, and John was in the back, and they told me, you know, Max, you have to go back and get in the line so we can announce you and you come out. And I saw John, and I got all excited. I was like, John, hey man, what you know? What's? And I was so happy to see him. And it was, hey, hey, Max, hey, hey. no, it was just, hey. And it wasn't Max. It wasn't cornbread. He used to tease me all the time. Cornbread. It wasn't any of that. And I could tell that there was something really different. And now putting it together and hearing about the Parkinson's, hearing about the dementia that John had, and ties everything together as to, you know, what was kind of going on with him. And I saw the same thing essentially with JoJo White his last couple of years. Uh, you know, great athletes, great warriors uh, who played the game at such an unbelievable level. And to see them to start to get old really just showed me my own mortality. And uh, and then to watch them kind of go through what they did was uh, was very humbling to, to be around. When you think back to obviously before all that and, and be it the last year that he played when you guys did overlap or in those years 
later that he'd come to practice, that he'd be around. And, and in the years that followed, obviously, as, as you've gone on to be an excellent broadcaster with this team, and, and he, as so many Celtics alumni have been for years and years and years, found himself around and, and part of things before he got sick. Just any special memories or, or funny stories, things along those lines that, uh, that, that you've kept with you along the way? Only thing I, that I always took with me was stories that John told me. And it was more not stories about basketball, but stories about life and more stories about hunting and fishing hmm. because John was a big outdoorsman. And he would eventually, he would sit down, and I was like a little kid sitting in front of him, and he'd tell me about these stories about they were out in, you know, Alaska, you know, before all these things, you know, now become in vogue and on TV all the time. John was doing all that stuff, hunting for, for elk and hunting for, you know, uh, bighorn sheep. And it, it was just, it was, it was fascinating to hear him talk about, you know, it's fishing ex- expeditions and stuff like that. So I think it was him in that time. It was the great Kirk Gowdy and they would do this American sportsman mm-hmm. type thing where they would get different athletes and they would go out and do these things. And John was one of those guys who crossed over from being this great basketball player to being this great outdoorsman. Um, John was a, you know, unbelievable sportsman. He was uh, drafted also to play football by right. the Browns. Uh, so he was uh, one of those. He was before Bo. He was, you know, he was before some of these guys, Dion, in playing two sports and doing what he did at Ohio State. Do you look back on him and and just kind of think that despite all of all of the accolades, his his place in in not only team but league history that and and I talked to Bob about this that he's as Bob put it you know he's he's a guy who's kind of fallen through the cracks of NBA history greats you know the the just because he was I don't know maybe so underrated or unheralded in a lot of ways despite his impact despite his ability is is he someone that uh, you know when that that next top 50 top 100 list rolls around will he be remembered with the same regard that he was in 96 when that first top 50 list came out i doubt it because um memories fade for for all athletes i don't care how great you were or how great you are there's going to come a a day that people aren't going to know who you are or not appreciate you for what you did in that in that uh, limelight i've talked before about you know the greatness of Michael Jordan, I used to do talk radio in Charlotte and was there where I was saying, you know, unfortunately, people are going to forget who Michael Jordan was. And the phone lines just lit up. <laughs> oh, you don't know. You're so stupid. Da, 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 da. And then, I guess, uh, a couple of years ago, I was down in Charlotte and I was uh, going into the arena and Michael Jordan was walking in front of me. And, you know, Mike is a fraternity brother and and, you know, from North Carolina and all this stuff. But it wasn't that the crowds weren't, you know, oh, my God, you got to get to Jordan. I got to, you know, it was like people people are going to forget who they are. So mm. the greatness of, of John Havlicek, the greatness of LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, all these things are going to go into the memory banks. And the people who are going to hold it more special are going to be the people who watch them play. Uh, you know, like the Tommy Heinsohn will tell you about John and people who watched him play during this, just like 
people who watch me play, they, you know, they, oh my God, I remember that, that, and then they'll tell their kids and they'll go, oh my God, you know who that is? And the kids will look at me like, who, I, I don't know who that is. And I just kind of <laughs> laugh, but, and then they'll say, can I, can I get a picture with you? Can, can I have a picture of you and my child? And I'll eventually I'll say yes. And then I will always turn to the child and I say, excuse me, do you mind if I take a picture with your dad? Because your dad really knows who I am, <laughs> and he just wants to put you in the middle of this. And I think that's the same way with all great athletes. They're going to have they're going to have their times when they were, you know, people going to remember them, and then eventually they're going to they are going to fall through those cracks of history. Well, Max, I'm, gl- I'm glad we have people like you to help us preserve it. Certainly, right now, and and to be able to do things like this so that we can forever listen back and and just remember obviously what uh you know all all the great memories and all the wonderful things well, that you know beyond yeah. youtube clips and all of that well he will be remembered as it's really strange though that you know, i think at espn today and it just really just amazing how john havlicek and johnny most are tied together mm-hmm. as somebody would say one of the greatest calls in sports you know havlicek steals the ball johnny havlicek and you know we, I hear that all the time on our radio station flagship. When we do a game, they always have Johnny Most on, but you can hear him. And I remember Gerald Henderson said when he stole the ball, all he could hear was Henderson steals the ball. He he tried he tried to be. He could hear the same you know passion that he had about John. Yeah. But, you know you think about that particular call and how those two right now are tied together. And, you know, what a team it is right now, you know, in heaven. You know, John Havlicek, JoJo White, you know, those guys running the break together and Johnny Moose calling the games. What a time to hear it. Hard, and Greer's putting the ball on a play. He gets it out deep and Havlicek steals it. Over the stand, Joe. Havlicek stole the ball. It's all over. It's all over. Johnny Havlicek is being mobbed by the fans. It's all over. Still kind of gives you chills, doesn't it? It does. It it absolutely does that you think about the greatness of that particular play and the greatness of Johnny Most. And and even now, how, you know, even some of the calls that you have now and me being a broadcaster, trying to say some of the things I say about people and I hear a guy like, you know, Johnny Most and you hear the moment that he puts you in, that is what I try to do. And that moment in time will always live in Celtic history as one of those great moments in basketball and also in broadcasting. And and for me to know both those guys, to have, you know, known Johnny Most and him to call Mike, call the game that, you know, I played in, and then to know John Havlicek, it really goes full circle for me. Max, thanks so much for your time. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Cedric Maxwell. One more quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by Quip. Brushing your teeth is one of life's most important daily activities, yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is the premier electric toothbrush on the market, created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and enjoyable. Quip answers all the problems you have with your ordinary electric toothbrushes. Quip uses sensitive sonic vibrations, gentle enough for your gums. People are notorious for brushing too hard, and other electric toothbrushes, they can be too rough on your mouth. I definitely brush too hard. Quip also eliminates the clutter in your bathroom. You don't need some clunky charger taking up counter space. 
Quip's battery life can last up to three months on one single charge. And Quip makes brushing simpler with automatic delivery of new brush heads every three months for only $5. So what are you waiting for? Improve your dental hygiene with Quip today. It's backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Go to getquip.com slash Celtics. Get your first refill pack for free when you buy your first toothbrush. That's getquip.com slash Celtics. Get back to the show. Before I bring in our next guest, let's mix in some tweets. Bill Russell, of course, Celtics legend. He said, it's getting difficult each time I hear about another contemporary that passes. What's harder is when we lose guys like John Havlicek. He was not just a teammate and a great guy, but he was family. That's how our Celtics teams were. Mike Zarin, Celtics assistant general manager, said, likely no Celtic will ever run more relentlessly or score more than John Havlicek. But just as remarkable was how classy, friendly, humble, and upbeat John always was around later C staff and players. Wow, we'll miss him. Jerry West, longtime Lakers rival, told Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, the thing with John, he competed against you at the highest level and he wanted to win badly. But he was always a really nice person. I don't think I ever heard anyone say a bad word about John. C's radio play-by-play voice, Sean Grandy, said, there's poetry in the fact the nickname Hondo came from a John Wayne movie. He was the Celtics for 16 years, came of age in the Russell 60s, carried the torch into the 70s, bridged the gap to the big three, revolutionized the sixth man, then became the man. Eight rings. One more from the guy we're about to bring in, Mike Gorman, longtime TV play-by-play voice of the team. He said, I cannot come up with the words to describe what we lost with the passing of John Havlicek. I can only assure you that everything you hear or read about what a genuinely good man he was is true. He was what we hope our heroes can be. So as I bring in Mike Gorman, Mike, what did John Havlicek mean to you? Well, as a player, I loved the way he played. I loved his heart. I loved the fact that he could play for 48 minutes and just never seemed to get tired. Um, And and I loved the way he played the game. But uh, what was fascinating for me, or or really at the time, I was just a Celtic fan, just uh, watching a great Celtic player play. Uh, as the years went by and I started to do my job and I started to see him at golf tournaments and at uh, different functions that involved the Celtics, it really struck me that this was one of the last of the really good guys. I mean, this was this was a guy who, when he met you, he looked you right in the eye. He had interest in what you had to say. He answered any question you wanted to ask. He had a, a nice kind of quiet sense of humor. Um, and he just was... So genuine. I mean, he he was John Havlicek in all our minds, but in his mind, he was just an average guy who played basketball. And um, he never big-timed you. He never big-timed anybody. Um, he just was a delightful man to be around. Again, I, I will my memories of John are more the few times I was able to get together with him socially and be with him more so than even the Havlicek stole the ball. I was in the second balcony of the Boston Garden when Havlicek stole mm. the ball. Um, but uh, the memories that will, that will stay with me are the times that uh, once I played golf with him, new holes of golf, uh, and just I'd continue to shake my head as I was walking up the fairway going like, wow, I'm playing golf with John Havlicek. Are you kidding me? It's funny. The way you're describing him is exactly the way that I have described Bobby Orr to people in the few times that I've had the chance to meet him, interview him, talk with him a little bit. It's just I almost wonder, and, and you'd be able to speak to this better than me, given not only what you do, but how long you've done it and the and the generations of, of athletes that you've been around and covered, it it feels generational to me in in a certain way that, you know, people were just 
I don't know. They were built differently at, at that time than they are today. Not to say that, oh, you know, people people stink today or something like that, but it's the same thing. You'd, you'd talk with Bobby or Mr. Orr, quite frankly, and you'd have no idea that he even was a professional athlete, let alone one of the best of all time. And talking with various people about John Havlicek and, and obviously listening to you, it sounds like the exact same type of thing. Yeah, it really is. That's a great analogy, Adam, um, because – uh, I've had a chance to, to meet Bobby Orr on a, on a few occasions, and it, he strikes me exactly the same way as John. He was he was from a different generation than the athletes we deal with today. That he would uh, he was open to your uh, your questions. He was he was looking to engage, um, and, and more than anything, he was respectful of you as the questioner, um, which is not how the press is viewed by most athletes today. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Bobby Orr and John Havlicek would were really two poster boys for their time as to this is the way to conduct yourself when you're amongst the best. What was it like getting to know him just a little bit, the golf tournaments and, and seeing him around the garden and at games over the years, you know, before he got sick, obviously the, you know, does, does that element of fandom and, and boyhood and being starstruck, does it ever wear off when around a, a guy like that, who who had that kind of magnitude to you as, as you watched as a fan? No, never wears off. It's, it's, it's always it's always like the first time, um, because again of the magnitude of who they were, uh, where you were in your own life at the time that they were playing at their very best. Uh, and you know, I, I grew up in Dorchester, obviously, so I was a Celtic fan my whole life. So uh, John Havlicek, forget about any kind of professional relationship. John Havlicek was the guy. I mean, John Havlicek is the all-time Celtic leading scorer. It's mm-hmm. not Larry Bird. Right. It's not anybody else in that generation. It's John Havlicek. Um, so no, no, that, that, that kind of sense of awe, uh, doesn't leave it. And too, too often you, you know, I find in my career, I've, I've met athletes who, who I just admired what they did on the court and or on the ice or on the diamond or on the pitch. Um, and I've met them and then all of a sudden it's this huge disappointment that they're mm-hmm. just not who you thought they would be. And that was just, that was never the case with Bobby Orr and certainly was never the case with John Havlicek. He was better. Than, than you could have imagined him to be. And it was, again, more, you felt important when you talked to John Havlicek and you, you didn't have any fear. You didn't have any trepidation. You just, you knew this was a, was, was a good man you were talking to and, and, and was not going to embarrass you, was not going to uh, do anything except for that moment, put all of his attention on you, which, again, when you're talking about somebody who was your boyhood idol, is, is overwhelming. And then John Havlicek is looking you in the eye and, not only answering your question, but maybe asking the question back of you. Um, that, that, again, doesn't happen with athletes today. I'll ask you a question I asked Bob Ryan. Obviously, he spent many, many years covering him. What is it that that made him so good? You know, because today's generation really has no idea. Many just know him as, as the guy that Johnny Moe screamed about when he stole the ball, as you alluded to before. And and he really, he's someone that, that when people today not people of, you know, of, I don't know, a certain age, but kids today or 20-year-olds today think about the best Celtics players of all time. Immediately, of course, they're going to associate Bill Russell and, and Bob Cousy and, you know, the names that they've heard the most. But John Havlicek, unfairly, I think, really kind of gets skipped over. Yeah, I think that era gets skipped over a little bit. When, when Tommy was the coach and Jojo White and and, and, and John Havlicek and uh, Dave yeah, people tend to talk about, yeah, exactly. People tend to talk about uh, Tommy and they talk about Sam Casey Jones and, and all the teams with Russell and uh, Cousy 
and then they skip ahead to the 80s. Uh, and then they skip ahead again to Paul Pierce in that group. And, and left in the dust is, is the team that, that John played for. But, again, we're, we're talking about the guy who is the Celtics' all-time leading scorer. And, and I think – Without the benefit you know, what, of a three-point line. Exactly. And, and, and I think what we all liked about him, too, was he, he really played both ends of the floor. And, uh, you know, back in the 70s, and, and, and you know, when I look at the old footage of, of, of the Russell-led teams, this is not meant in any way to be any kind of – slight against those teams, but they didn't really defend. I mean, Bill Russell was like the only guy out on the court who was honestly playing defense. <laughs> the other guys are just kind of waiting to get the ball back again so they could go up and score. Um, you know, you look at those teams in the late 50s um, that, that, that Tommy played for with Kuz and, and Russ, and uh, look at the field goal attempts on some of the box scores. They At one year, they averaged 125 field goal attempts a game. <laughs> in today's NBA, teams take like 85 shots, you know, so if you've got 125 field goal attempts a game, you, you can't be playing much defense. There's just not enough time on the clock. So I, I, I think Russell changed the face of the game because he came in and, and literally defended, and, and the offense was secondary. And then as time went by, you looked at John Havlicek, and you saw this guy who, wow, not only is he getting us 25 points up the other end, um, he's the best defender we have on, on the other end. Um, he, he's, he's quite, if you were trying to, if I were trying to pick a person who I thought was like John Havlicek, it would be quite Leonard. Mm. Um, they had similar types of games. They were about six, six in height, had long arms. They defended like crazy one-on-one. Um, they were able to get their shot whenever they wanted to get their shot on the offensive end. Um, but were still skilled playmakers. I think, again, a big part of the appeal of John is if you were young, player who was trying to mimic your game off a of pro, John was the guy to do it because he made it look so effortless. And, and again, the fact that he had something, his resting heartbeat was something like 72 or something, some ridiculously low number. So he just never got tired. He, 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 used, to, he used to smile when that would come up in press conferences because he would just say, like, I, I just am not tired. I can play 48 minutes if you want me to, and I can play him at, at full 100% effort and not be carried off in a stretcher. To your point, I was reading this earlier, Havlicek was one of 10 NBA players in history to make at least eight all-NBA teams and eight all-defensive teams. The others, Tim Duncan, Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Hakeem Olajuwon, Michael Jordan, David Robinson, Kevin Garnett, Gary Payton, and Chris Paul. Not all of these things are the same, if you will, but still, that is some pretty remarkable company for a guy that, to our point before, gets a bit overlooked. Yeah, and I think... You know, guys as old as me remember this, but guys as, as young as you probably don't have any reason to recall it. <laughs> but he he was he was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, right? Uh, I think in, in back in the old days, in the sixth or seventh round, and was the last wide receiver to be cut off that Browns team uh, that year. And, and if he hadn't been the last wide receiver cut, if the other guy who was, would have been the last wide receiver who made the team was the one who got cut, we never would have had a John Havlicek because he said he would have gone and played professional football. Hmm. Um, so that was always something that, you know, as a kid, you're just going like, wow, this guy's the best basketball player on the court when he's playing, and he could play pro football if he felt like it. That just made him a hero in, in your mind. He, he could do anything. Listening to the, you know, the, the reverence, obviously, that you have for him and, and can still hear the the fandom in your voice, the, the enthusiasm, was, was he the guy? Was he number one for you growing up? Was then, you know, when you were watching as a fan or, or just among the collection of greats? No, he was number one without question. Um, 
you wanted the ball in his hands at big moments and you wanted him, you wanted the other guys to have their best player with the ball in their hands because that meant John was going to cover him. Um, again, he was a player that you could actively root for on both ends of the floor. Um, and, and again, even though I wasn't at press conferences at the time, you would, you could tell, by the way, writers wrote about him that there was something different about this guy. That this, um, that there, you weren't, you weren't just covering someone. He was as interested in your life as you were in his. Um, and you, again, you just, whatever, whatever reasons, athletes today don't seem to have the time to do that. Talking about a shooting, there was a quote that I read. I think it was Paul Silas in ESPN. He said, I love the man. I won two championships with him. When I first got to Boston, we talked all the time. All I wanted him to do was shoot. And when he didn't, I'd go right at him. He was really one of the greatest shooters I ever saw. When we needed a big basket, he was always the guy we wanted to take the shot. And clearly you feel the same way. When when you think back, though, on his ability to shoot back then, in, and it's not – I was going to say in that era. It's not era. Either you can shoot or you can't shoot. It doesn't matter when you played. But when you compare him to some of the other all-time greats, the the Steph Curry's of the world that people fixate on today, how do you compare? Well, it was, again, it was no three-point line. I mean, right. It, it, so the range wasn't I, the same. I love watching. I love watching Steph Curry play, but if he, there were no three-point line, his shots would be deemed outrageous by coaches, and they wouldn't let him take them. Um, John uh, Johnny Most was famous for the running. Was it running right-hander? Um, and uh, that, if you look at a lot of the highlights of John, he, he took very few standstill jump shots. Everything was kind of on the move. It was, it was throwing up runners off the dribble, and he was great at using the glass. Uh, I think you probably learned that from Sam Jones. Um, and, again, I think one of the things that made John great, and, and this, again, went over onto the personal side, is that he, he believed he could always get better. So he was always trying to do different things. It's like I really admire that when I watch Kyrie. Um, I watch Kyrie out on the court a lot before games, two or three hours before the game, practicing these little left-handed floaters that could go up the high end of the glass. And you wonder, like, why is he practicing that? And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, that's the shot that he comes up with for the big basket. He, um, Havlicek was the same way. He was always looking to improve what was already, in a lot of people's mind, the best out there. But he was always looking to get better. Um, again, I... I it, we could talk about numbers. We could talk about statistics all, all day long and try to have a debate as to where he places in, in, in the archives of, of great players. Um, but, again, I would just prefer to remember John Hamacek as a man that I had to know a little bit. And he was uh, just just a really, really good human being. Sounds trite, but it's true. No, and, and it it's not cliche when, when it is true. You know, and I, I think that uh, it, some of that stuff can, can get lost. And, you know, when I, I was chatting with Cedric Maxwell and he was saying those two, they, they always had such a fun, playful relationship. And then as John got older and, and he got sick and then Jojo White, he got sick at the end. And, and Max said it was just for him, it was it was really sad. It was just it was a, a reminder of, of his own mortality. You know, you, you see these guys, what what they were to where they were potentially trending to obviously, you know, now tragically no longer being with us. When when you heard the news of, of John's passing, how did it hit you? Well, almost relieved. Um, I, I've, I've had a uh, good relationship, uh, ongoing relationship with a lot of people who knew John very well, who lived with him down in Florida. 
lived in the same area down there. Bill Raftery is very close to him, for instance. Mm-hmm. He has a home down there. And, um, a lot of the Big East people that, that I knew in college basketball have retired to that area. So it's kind of like an area full of, of former athletes. And so I had a lot of people who were constantly updating me on John's condition. So I, I knew that over the last two or three weeks, um, it had become almost a day-to-day thing. People were, every time the phone rang, you would, you would think, oh, this is a phone call now. Mm. Um, so, uh, again, the actual news didn't come as a son. I, I feel, in, in a way, relieved for, for John and, and his family that they can, they can move on now because I'm, I'm not sure there was much hope of recovery. Talking with you is not the same as talking with Tommy Heinsohn when it comes to direct experience with uh... – you sure. know, with with John, but in in many ways, you are the next best thing because of how close you are with Tommy, and I, I'm sure that you you guys have chatted about uh, John a, a billion times over the years. What what did John mean to him, or what does John mean to him, and and both as as a teammate and eventually someone that he coached, and just that how they've they've grown all together. I would encourage you to call Tommy and get sure. your thoughts on this because I'm sure he would talk to you about it. There was always just a feeling of great respect when, when Tommy spoke of John uh, about what he was able to do, how he was able to play, uh, who, who he was as a, as, as a, as a human being. Uh, again, I think that is, um, you know, the same can be said about Jojo White, who was another man who was just a, a true gentleman. Uh, and and you, you brought up Bobby Orr earlier. Um, maybe it was just, it was just a, a, truly was a generational thing that, that the guys of this era were, were happy and, and, and with where they had ended up, and this was a great opportunity, and we're grateful for it, as opposed to so many of today's kids who seem like they feel like they're entitled to it. Um, and so I think he would, if you talk to Tommy, he would very quickly, after giving you two or three quick basketball uh, stories, he would very quickly get to the point that we all are most saddened by now that we've lost a, a, a wonderful man, it's because that's what he was. Well, Mike Gorman, I greatly appreciate your time and and memories and and reflections. And you know, I'm sure as as this next series starts against the Bucks, it's it's going to have maybe not for today's players, but for the organization, for you, for those that knew John, a, a little bit of a cloud over it, obviously. But uh, you know, we're we're all confident that he's watching from above, and uh, yeah. hopefully, this run continues. Hopefully, they win it for John. That would be nice. That would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? Looking forward to this series getting started. Our next show, I promise, be a lot more actual basketball talk, but this is something I felt important to do and something I really wanted to do, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. I want to tell you today's show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit. The show also brought to you by Quip. Go to getquip.com slash Celtics. Get your first refill pack for free when you buy your first electric toothbrush. Thanks to Max, thanks to Bob, to Mike, to everyone, my producer, of course, Evan Valenti, to Nick, Larry, John, everyone at CLNS Media, to you, as always, subscribe to Celtics Beat. Get us on iTunes. You can find me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. You can subscribe to a whole bunch of different places. You can even subscribe to the CLNS audio feed on YouTube for a ton of sound. There's more and more pre- and post-game analysis from the coaches, the players, members of our crew at CLNS, More and more of it as the playoffs roll along. I promise you that because fewer and fewer teams still in. That means we're going to beef up our coverage, and we are absolutely doing that for you. So with that, rest in peace, John Havlicek. One amazing career, and that doesn't begin to cover it. I'm not sure the words that were even shared over the last hour fully encapsulate all that you meant to Boston, but we'll let you take us out of here.
You have given us what every team really wants to have, enthusiasm, dedication, and you've helped us win many championships. What more can I say? Thank you, Boston. I love you. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.